Welcome to another episode of Adoption, The Making of Me. I'm Louise Brown. And I'm Sarah Reinhardt. Make sure to find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as Adoption, The Making of Me podcast. Please remember to subscribe, share, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Good morning, Louise. Good morning, Sarah. It's a bit of an emotional moment because it's the wrap up of our season. And just to think of how far we've come. I was thinking about it today and I'm like, I can't believe you and I are here at the end of season one when just last year we said to each other, let's do a podcast. (laughs) I know. I I know. And just the journey and the ride. It's really been, I mean, I haven't gone back to listen to my or your episodes. So I'm kind of curious to see just how far we've come by listening to it. Let's go through all our guests. Yeah, let's go through the guests. I was thinking about what you just said, because I've listened to some of the guests with our 12 days of adoptees. Yeah. And I haven't listened to us because <laughs> I've been sort of insecure about it or something. And it's uh, because I felt like we we're so novice right out of the gate. You know, we didn't know what we were doing and how we were doing it. And and then it just took off this thing. And, and I'm God, I feel like our guests now are imprinted on my heart. Yes. And so first my we- episode was the shortest of them all. <laughs> I know. Cause we didn't know. We were like, we didn't oh. know. I was like, I better shut up. <laughs> right. <laughs> now we're like, let people talk. So our first guest was Jean. Yes. And Jean, I- who we found through my childhood neighbors, so through your childhood neighbors. And she is just a love. We're both friends with her on Facebook now. And so such a positive. She comes to our person. Facebook lives. Yeah. Sometime. Yeah. <laughs> I love Jean. Then John, we had John. What an amazing journey John had. I mean, yeah. I just re-listened to John actually, and it made me cry again. And I know the story. Yeah. And I'm like, what happened to the kids and what he had to go through in Vietnam and just the loss of like people's history. The loss of history. Well, Mm -hmm. and that's true of all adoptees, right? We're just, Mm -hmm. what I also find incredible is where I started in thinking about adoption, where I am now in thinking about it and recognizing how traumatic it really was and how bizarre it is to think about taking a, a baby from its birth mother, changing its entire identity and growing up without any mirroring. I never thought about it the same as you. This podcast has really opened up my eyes in reading Nancy Berrier's book, obviously. I was watching PBS like a week ago or two weeks ago, and it was about these monkeys in China called snub-nosed monkeys. They're very, very rare, and they're up in this this ecological anomaly kind of in the mountains where these three rivers meet the Yangtze and a couple other rivers. And they follow, I don't mean this to go long and tangent, but it relates to this. And Uh so there's a pod of monkeys that travel together of like eight families or something. And then this documentary branched off into watching these two families and these mothers were pregnant and they both had little baby boy monkeys at the same time. But one of the mothers was ill-equipped to be a mother. She did not know how to do it. And she'd leave the baby or he'd be off on his own in a tree. And wow. and then all the other monkeys in that family were having to take care of it. And he learned quickly on his own, but he was really, really emotionally damp. Like he was very sad all the time. And the other monkey, they called the little prince because the mother wouldn't let him out of her you know, arms. And like he was totally paid attention to. And the implication was he was kind of coddled, but he was just, you know, and he, when he finally like wandered off, didn't know what to do. And so his cousin would like help him. And it was just (laughs) so interesting. It's exactly like people. Yeah. So this notion that that like, oh, this adoption doesn't affect anybody. It's it's just simply not true. It even shows in the animal animal kingdom. kingdom. Mm -hmm. Nancy touched on that when we talked about her, even animals, like the, what they go through when you take an animal from its mother. And I oh, think- little Woody, I have. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone yeah, on I the podcast just- is going to go find this. <laughs> I love snub, that stuff. Snub nosed monkeys <laughs> from China. I love and they, that. They look like they even said in the documentary, they like when they're grown up, they look oh. like they've had plastic surgery with these giant lips and like these eyes. So cute. Oh, that's crazy. Okay, so who? Well, back to our guests. Yes. Uh, then we had Andrea. Andrea. 
Mm-hmm. Andrew is awesome. And she's actually very active on Twitter and the adoptee. I, she has a blog now where she features someone to do with adoption, something they've written each week. Darn it, Andrea. I'm sorry. I'm just go look her up on Twitter, Andrea Ross. And Andrea Ross. Blog, yes. And listen to her episode because she's she's got a really, really cool story that has to do with nature and when she figured this out and being off in the forest as a ranger and all sorts of cool stuff. Yes. And then we have Sam. Now, Sam's one of those people in life who joined the community late in life. We kind of bonded over that because we're like, we're all in a community now that we didn't know we were in because he didn't find out he was adopted until he needed a kid. was so in his 40s. Man. Yeah. <laughs> In the fifties, maybe. Yeah, might have been nine. <laughs> yes, he's like, oh, my mother's not my mother. Okay, you got to listen to that story. Who was next, Sarah? Then we had Madeline and Laura, oh, the girls, the girls whose mother was adopted, and they had a sibling who was adopted out. So yeah. they had a real deep connection with adoption. I oh, those girls were. They're wonderful. Yeah. I keep up with them now watching them. I do too. I I see them on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) They're great. And then we had uh, Mick from the... Mick. Mick. He was in the orphanage in New Orleans. I've been thinking a lot about Mick with the climate stuff going Uh on. I know. Because he's a climatologist. Mm -hmm. And I feel like writing him going, help, what's going on? I know. I wonder if he saw Don't Look Up. (laughs) (laughs) We need to get in touch with Mick, actually. And by the way, then we had a special episode with Rebecca Autumn, the filmmaker who's the primal wound. She made the, the reckoning her movie. Yeah. Reckoning with the primal wound. Mm-hmm. And we had Nancy and Rebecca on. And that, that was, was a, for that us, was exciting for us huge. because we had manifested <laughs> that. <laughs> we went into this thinking, I don't want to read the primal wound. We've known about it. I don't want to read it. Sarah's like, let's have, you were the one who said, let's read the primal wound for this. I'm like, ah. Just looking at it, I'm like, I don't want to. And now it's been life-changing. It really has. Yeah. Really Thank life-changing. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Nancy. And Rebecca Autumn. Because yes. she presents it in such a great way in the documentary. Yeah, she really does. And then we had our friend. Denise. Denise. Yep. His Denise. brother was adopted. And so she had been listening to the podcast and really was identifying how adoptees feel with how her brother must have felt growing up. Yeah, which I thought was a really cool episode because we having the sibling perspective and our siblings haven't really wanted to come on the podcast, although they're supportive. It's been great to have that because I think other people are like, oh, I had. Speak for yourself. I don't (laughs) think my siblings have listened. (laughs) My sibling hasn't listened. But he's supportive. You know, I don't even know that they know that they'd even like aware that I have one. (laughs) Actually, I think maybe my biological siblings have. Yeah. Perhaps listened. My brother sends us things for it, but I'm like, have you listened? Yeah, no, not yet. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't want to. I understand. Then we had Damon Davis from whom he has his own podcast, Who Am I Really? And his story was just, gosh. Well, first of all, he's just such a fantastic orator and speaker. You know, like it was, and just even though I knew his story and had heard his story, just listening to him was, It, it, Brought up all the emotions. It does. And every single person who listens to Damon tells us, I cried. He makes me cry. And he makes me cry. Oh, then we had Nikki from South Africa who who runs the home for babies. Yes. Uh, She's been posting some neat. She can't post pictures of the babies, obviously, but she's been posting, you know, she'll post things about what's going on there. And I never see her. Is that on Instagram? Yeah. Okay. It's on Instagram and People should follow her because that's a, she does good work in the world. Hard work. She really does. Hard work. And then we had David. David. (laughs) We both loved him. Another, oh, I love David. We keep in touch with him. We do. We send a group text with him and he is just, everyone needs to listen to David because he's got a really fun story, but a deep story. Mm -hmm. And a great message for people. And, and I don't know, I think he's just a gem of a person. Yeah, love David. <laughs> I did too. What? Next we had, oh, another special episode oh. with Jennifer Utley from Ancestry. Ancestry. And she went through all the genealogy stuff. And, and that was really... I think other people that aren't adopted that listen to our podcast, friends of our show and stuff have been like, I didn't know that about Ancestry. Like really... I learned a lot from that, actually. And yeah, I did I too. That is, they have support for adoptees that I didn't. They care. She, yes. they, I feel like she and her team care. 
and they want the message to be correct and how they can help be correct, not just a business. Right. They want to connect people. It's all about connection. Yes. And it starts with their CEO, who we yeah. who we follow too. Yes. And, and then, then who else? What? Rachel. Rachel's. No, 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 no. Casey. Oh, Casey. Representative Casey <gasps> Weinstein from Ohio. And he is an adoptive father and had just, the adoption had just gone through this past year. So. Yes. And he is a neat, neat guy. He and his family are, they're really quality people. And then who was Rachel? Oh, then Rachel. Was next. Yes. I love Rachel. I love how we met her and how we were able to uh, <laughs> connect Ra- with her. Rachel's like, her whole thing is just a strength for someone so young. Oh my God. She's so strong. And, and just especially knowing what she knows about her adoption and yeah, just when, have that, that kind of composure. And then we have our friend of the show, Eric. Yes. Eric, Eric David. David. And we love Eric. Eric's reunion stories may be one of the best. Yeah. Like just one of the happiest. Happiest. Yes. And he's he's been through a lot in life and he's just a really cool person on the other end of it. And then we have our latest episode, Anne Marie. Anne Marie. And Anne Marie, if you haven't listened, that's just our recent episode out. She's totally together, a therapist and yeah, helps she, people and she's incredible. I mean, she really We're both kind of in awe of her. <laughs> Very much so. And and what she's got, she's just another strong person with, a, you know, and incredibly intelligent and thoughtful and empathetic and grounded, funny. And yeah, I yeah. wanted to say, because we're wrapping up this season and we, you know, and I think one of the things that I have walked away with about how, you know, you talk about how can adoption change? And I think one of the movements out there, and, and I'm going to state my opinion and say that I think this is a really good alternative is rather than just adopting kids out, you know, of course there are children out there in the world that legitimately, you know, need to be adopted or have help. But I think the idea that a lot of adoptees are talking about guardianship, right? Keeping their names, having guardianship, and then giving that family of origin some time and resources to maybe get their acts together if they need to get their acts together. And yeah. So this leads us to today's guest. Yeah. Today's guest is really a voice in the adoption community. And we wanted to have her on last to wrap up because she's also a writer as Nancy Verrier is. She's really got a, a book that really hit home with a lot of adopted people. And we wanted to kind of highlight that because, you know, we follow her and people are really moved by her book. So I'm excited. Me too. And we love our, you know, followers and all of you guys. And thank you for this season. Thank you so much. And we'll see you in season two, where we will be discussing Journey of the Adopted Self by Betty Jean Lipton. So please join in with us. Please join. Thanks. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Louise and I talked about it for months and we were intimidated until we heard about Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout is hands down the best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in all the major podcast directories like Apple, Spotify, Google, and more. Podcasting isn't hard. Believe me, if Louise and I could figure it out, anyone can. We got a mic, some headphones, parked ourselves in our closets, and that was it. Buzzsprout did the rest. You get a great looking podcast website and you can track all of your analytics to see how your podcast is doing. So if you follow the link in our show notes, it lets Buzzsprout know we sent you and you get a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan. And bonus, you help support our show. Hi, I'm just going to break in here. As a friend of the podcast and a fellow Patreon, I want to join Louise and Sarah in thanking everyone who has reached out. Frankly, I've been astounded at the number of listeners from across the world who have shared their unique stories with our podcasters. I believe in the healing power of stories. As a Patreon, I've found such pleasure in supporting the podcast and in seeing how adoptees find their people. I know how much Louise and Sarah are moved by each Patreon support. Their immediate goal is to be able to air the podcast weekly rather than bi-weekly. 
Eventually, they would like to advocate for more effective ways of adopting children. If you would like to support this important work, either once or in an ongoing way, simply go to patreon.com, then in the search bar, type adoption colon the making of me. Thank you all, each in your own way, for bringing us together. And now let's rejoin our hosts. So here we are, really happy that we have our guest today. We met on Twitter <laughs> as fellow adoptees. Megan's a writer. She's got a kick-ass memoir called Guild of the Infant Savior. So she's going to tell us about that, which tells her her story. So Megan, Pauline Galbraith, happy to have you here. Oh, it's so nice to be here. Welcome. Hi, Hi. Hi Sarah. <laughs> it's so nice to meet adoptees because when I was writing this book, I didn't really have a community. You know, I, I don't know why. I just didn't think that there was a community of people out there. I thought, and then after I wrote this book, which is called The Guild of the Infant Savior, an adopted child's memory book, it introduced me to a community of adoptees that I'm just so happy to be a part of now. And people have written to me telling me how much this book meant to them too, which makes me feel pretty amazing as an author who at the time was just putting her thoughts down on paper thinking, you know, I'm the only one who's feeling like this. And this is just, you know, this is just me. So to feel not alone, it was amazing. But I mean, to summarize the book, I was born in a Catholic charity hospital in Hell's Kitchen in 1966. And I was the daughter of an unwed mother who was sent away to a home in New York City called the Guild of the Infant Savior, which of course is the title of the book. And, you know, you'd think in the 60s, it was the summer of love and second wave feminism that these things would not go on. And so the book does a lot of cultural reportage, as well as telling my personal story about, you know, feminism at the time, the politics of adoption. You know, at one point I, you know, I do, it's very place-based. So, I returned to New York City a lot to kind of walk in my birth mother's footsteps and to get a feel for where the hospital was. You know, these places have disappeared. Like the Guild of the Infant Savior is no longer there anymore. It's now the Hungarian consulate. Yeah, the hospital where I was born is, you know, of course, Hell's Kitchen has been renamed. Also, the hospital where I was born is now like, you know, multi-million dollar high-rise condominiums. It's the changing face of a city but the bones of all of it are still there. And that's one of the things that I, I loved to do with this book is like as an adoptee, you know, you have to piece together your history from what you know or don't know. And before I met and knew my birth mother, you know, I detailed in the book, like going to the New York City Public Library, the archives there, the genealogical archives and what it took for me or like as an adoptee who the records had not been opened yet, or if you don't have access to your records to go to try to find your information is crazy. You know, you have, in my case, I had a number on my birth certificate that corresponded to a number somewhere in these archives, you know, in the, in this big, beautiful, like genealogy room in the New York public library. And when I went into the library, I handed them the card. I'm like, here's my number. Like, surely this is in numerical order, right? And they're like, oh, honey, you don't need that. It's in alphabetical order. <laughs> so again, you're like trying to search for someone. You think you have a clue and you realize like this is completely upside down. You know, so now you're looking at, I was looking at these volumes and volumes of recorded births in this, you know, state of New York for that particular year. And it's stacks. And I'm like, what could her name be? You know, what could it be? I was adopted into an Irish family. So I was like, maybe it's, you know, O'Callaghan or oh, whatever. And my friend Monica was with me and she's like, so I took the O's. She took the something else, you know, the M's, the Murphy's, whatever. And, you know, it turns out her name started with an H. We would never have found this. I mean, never, ever. And this is, I think, part of this like whole putting together your identity as an adoptee when yeah. you're refused sort of, you know, records that are rightfully yours when you are sent on sort of these wild goose chases. And met and with then, a lot of resistance and yeah. irritation that you even want to yeah. know your story. And then, you know, when I met my birth mother, you know, it's of course meeting is one thing and having a relationship is another. So like in the meeting 
her was so exciting. And she flew in. She had been in Scotland. And she flew into New York, rented a hotel that was very near the Guild. So we could kind of walk around the neighborhood, which I thought was fabulous. And uh, she showed me the places that she went. And we had a wonderful time, you know, eating, drinking, telling stories, smoking and drinking. (laughs) (laughs) I just had my first son. So I was like, I got to pump and dump all this. (laughs) And, you know, and so, and that was wonderful. But on the way on the train home, I kept thinking, I suddenly was like, oh my God. Yeah, I just met her. But now, like, I have to have a relationship. You know, like I hadn't thought through what this means now going forward. So we did, we had a long relationship for 24, 25 years where she told me her stories and, you know, put up with me asking all sorts of questions. Cause I don't know about you, but maybe it's my journalism training also, but I just, I'm like a three-year-old just like, why, 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 why? (laughs) And I'm sure that's wearing on people, but when you need information, you know, and you feel like you're not getting what you need, which is almost all the time, because unless somebody sits you down, you, you don't, I didn't feel like anybody was telling me the true story. Everybody was trying to protect my feelings or something was amiss. And then when the partial story, yeah. yeah, Wanting to not look bad. And at least in my case, there was a lot of, I don't want to be perceived in a certain way or, you know, yeah, there's a lot of shame involved, mm-hmm. whether yeah. they admit it or not. It's, you know, the way my birth mother talked to me, I re- began to realize sometimes she was quite harsh. And I just, you know, I want to empathize with her. And I just kept realizing she's harsh like that because she was spoken to in those harsh ways. You know, she'd been sent away to a convent school before even the guild. It didn't seem like, you know, then she was sent away to the guild. It was like everything she tried to do as like a, you know, sexually free, you know, even at 15, when she was sent away to Ireland to this convent school, you know, she's just being a normal 15 year old on an army base, you know, and instead, like, this is what they did with women. I mean, across time, this is what they do to women. Mm -hmm. They, you know, were hysterical. So we're sent away. We're loose and, you know, whores. So we're sent away, all this stuff. And this is what happened to her time and again. So like, when I hear her voice like that, I think to myself, this is just how she had been talked to also. And so I, you know, the more I researched her stories against whatever sort of quote unquote facts she was telling me, I would try to research them as if they were fact to prove or disprove or to try to find something that I could then go down another rabbit hole with. And that's what made up the bulk of the book is the the whole, I think, meta narrative of this book too, is that memory is a coping mechanism, especially, you know, out of memory that's born from trauma. It's all about, you know, like Joan Didion says, we tell ourselves stories in order to live. And that's, that's what we do as humans, you know, like, I can't imagine being sent away by my parents, basically given train ticket money and told, call us when you have the baby and we'll send you money for a train ticket home. Where was she from? She lived in Norwalk, Connecticut, okay, which is the town that I was adopted into. That's where my adopted parents live. So then there's more subterfuge, like, did they know each other? How I was going to say, know? how did that happen? How did you get adopted into that town when you were born in New York? Through Catholic Charities in Bridgeport. I don't know how I got to sent to Catholic Charities there, but I was in a foster home. I went from St. Clair's, which was the charity hospital. And I was sent to a foster home for private foster home in Connecticut for about almost six months because I'd had been born with hip dysplasia, which I still don't quite know what that is, but I had to wear like leg braces for the first six months or so, Mm -hmm. actually more than that. And so going to that foster home was a way to have me heal and be supervised and whatnot. At least this is what the caseworker said, because she said, look, honey, I'm sorry to tell you, but it was the sixties and like, had you limped or something, you know, you would have been unadoptable and probably institutionalized. So God, yeah. And so it, you harsh. know, it's really weird is that my entire life, I don't know if you have felt this, there's these embodied feelings. Like I had always, even to the point of saying it to my parents, like, do I have a leg that's shorter than the other? I just, there was something in me that always felt like, am I limp? Am I, you know, 
is one leg shorter than the other? And they would always be like, what are you doing? You're you're crazy. No. And then to find this out, like, how did that feeling come about? How was I thinking that? And then that just shows you what you know. Yeah. The reason I write is to kind of process all that, you know, is to understand things. And I think that's why the essay form is so, is something that I just have come to love because it's a way of being able to process things like in my book over multiple forms, you know, it's a hybrid narrative. So there are images in there. I am a visual artist also. So I use play in a creative way. I've restaged some of my baby photos in the dollhouse, similar to the, what I did with, I don't know if you guys know, but the, those Domacon programs across the mm, country that use yeah. babies as practice babies. Yes. Um, God. Yeah. So I started with that essay and it originally started as a gallery, an art gallery show. And as I was putting together the book, I thought, hmm, this seems like it's working for that essay. Why can't I, you know, make this whole book like my baby book, so to speak, and restage my own baby photos in the dollhouse. And as I started doing that, I started, it just, it gives you this like third party remove, you know, that you're looking at something that now I've taken, it's not my baby photo, but if you go back and look at those, even at, with adult eyes, they look different. You're like, huh, who took that photo? Who's out of the frame? Why yes. is the dog's nose in the, you know? But then to restage them in this sort of dollhouse situation, it really added to like the dystopian nature of adoption because you're just like, whoa. It's like this is real objectified, objective lens that oh, comes with it. Yeah. 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 And how are your adopted parents with like, I mean, cause you're so creative and everything, were they always supportive or what do they know about your adoption and everything? Well, my mom died when I was 32, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, sadly, I didn't get to ask her a lot of the questions that I didn't even get to form until I was yes. older. Cause like, maybe you're the same way, but yeah. I just didn't know what to question or even to, it was never a mystery that I was adopted. It's just, until you're a certain age, which at my case was like having my first child, then really thinking, you start thinking about it then. You're like, how does someone give away a child or surrender a child? And what must that feel like? And so that led me into being curious about it. And I'd found my birth mother before I told my parents because I didn't want them being sad or, you know, I didn't want them thinking I was looking because they were inadequate because yeah, that sometimes, them. yeah, that sometimes happens. I mean, and, that seems to be very common among adoptees that yes. we, you know, we place other people's feelings above our, like same thing. I didn't, you know, yeah. want my parents to be hurt looking to protect yeah. them. Yeah. 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 You know, when I told my parents, my mom was just like, oh my God, is that it? We thought you were going to tell us you had cancer, you know, but it was so such an emotional weight for me, like to tell them because I thought I was obviously betraying them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, fast forward to years later, decades later, after writing the book, which is a lot of feelings I haven't told my family, because we just don't talk about this. One, in my case, there was never space in my family to talk about being adopted. There was never any sort of of that space. It was sort of, it's not that they forced me to do anything. But it's like, there's the sense that you should, you know, be grateful, be grateful, be part of the family. You know, there's always, I had a younger sister who, and I'm sure if anybody has had the biological sister who every now and then would be come out with least I'm the real one, you know, Uh, I got that. I, when my brother was older, he'll fess up to this too. He used to say he could take me back. He knew where the papers were when he'd be watching me. Because he's five years older, but those yeah. things affect you. Yeah, they really do. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm not sure if she'd admit or not. But I mean, fast forward to now, like I wrote the book and, you know, my middle sister is also adopted and she has always, like ever since I started writing about it, not about her at all. I don't write about her, but she has been so like angry and lashing out and whatnot to the point where I had to block her. You know, because like on Facebook, she would go on these rants and I had to block her. And then my youngest sister like really had the cruelest sort of negative reaction to this book. Absolutely cool. And my dad, you know, who never expected this, said that he felt betrayed 
and that he felt uh, hurt by what I've written. Meanwhile, everybody I tell this to who has read the book is like, what book are they reading? <laughs> because that's not the book that we read. And it's also know, super unfair. I feel it, like it's your story. It's our story. They can't, except for your middle sister, obviously can understand, but like they don't get what we're feeling or what we, you know, and maybe it's like, it took me a while to connect the right. dots and realize, you know, I attributed a lot of my trauma to other trauma, but the root yeah. trauma was this. So I find it un- kind of unfair, like to try to stifle that. I don't know. Just my it opinion. is, it is. And, you know, I thought, you know, how people show you who they are. And in this case, like they really showed me who they are. And, you know, you sort of look back when they show this to you now, you know, I look back and I was like, you know, I've seen this all along, you know, my, neither of my sisters have ever been really supportive of me. I feel like I've always supported them. You know, it's it's just like you see the pattern, Mm -hmm. but because, you know, I was stuck in a real people pleasing, like many adoptees are Mm -hmm. super people pleasing, or you're the opposite side, which I feel like was there are sort of two archetypes, right? The people pleaser and then the one that's like loves the negative reinforcement, you know, mm-hmm. and that was my sister, I would say. So she would constantly, those, that archetype is one that like tries to actively and almost physically sometimes push the family away. <clears throat> so they will reinforce their love for them. And we're both reenacting those abandonment issues. And in my case, I'm just like, this is why I talk openly about this stuff, especially about my family's negative reaction, because I'm not going to keep that to myself. I'm not going to hold on to that. It's not, it has nothing to do with me. And I think that from a, a writer's perspective, you know, as a memoir writer, a writer of essays, it's important that people know, like, this is what can happen when you write, you know, your truth. And you're going to have people who say terrible things to you. And usually all those people are your closest the closest ones who are related to you. You know, it's not, I've had just outpouring of like amazing support from other authors, from strangers, from, you know, adoptees about this book. And it's ironic to me that the the four people who are closest to me in adoption are the four who are most negatively reacted to me having a voice. And I'm like, this is such an archetype of, you know, of adoption period. It is. and it's sad you and your sister that are both adopted couldn't heal over that together too. I mean, you know, I wish, so. right. Even when I, I remember back first, when I was looking for my non-identifying information, I'd given her all the information. Cause I think she also was adopted in Connecticut and she just has always been very, you know, I only learned the term in the thought recently, but yeah. she's like, we just she's up too. <laughs> right. She's like in the forest and in the fog. She just, will not do any self-reflection as you know first she won't do self-reflection and then that would might allow her but all of that is understandable too because like it's painful it is once you know it's painful and the healing is like never ending and you have to and as you said it takes a a, like you had your time for it sarah and i doing this podcast are discovering things and learning and new to the community as well by the way we were both learning we didn't know we had a community in it, you know? Yeah. Had. Same. And not crazy. It's like they have beanie baby communities. They have <laughs> I like, know. <laughs> how did I not know? There was we're like, we're in this community and we, we want to have some positive effect on it. Having people tell their stories and open conversations, but it's new to us, you know? So yeah. how did you end up finding your birth mother with the records in New York being so difficult? How did that end up happening? Well, I very, this was in the early stages of the internet, right? So I was in like chat rooms trying to find like, I, cause I thought I was being born in New York. I had to abide by New York laws and somewhere along the line, somebody said, you know, if you were, where were you adopted? Like what agency were you adopted um. in? And I was like, oh, Catholic charities in Bridgeport. And they're like, well, you can call them. And so I called Catholic charities and Connecticut law says, you pay us a fee. Of course, there's always a fee. You pay, I think it was $175. And it's a two-stage process. First, I got my non-identifying information, which is 
as many adoptees will say, it's like kind of this FBI file. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not like your like actual the file. redacted file of you. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like your actual <laughs> file. And in my case, I don't have it the redacted stuff, but it's obviously a form that the caseworker yeah. fills out with only the things that you're allowed to have on there. But also they give you the form that like in my case, my birth mother had filled out this form. So when I got my non-identifying information, I saw her handwriting. And for me, I was like, oh, holy shit, this is, but it looks just like mine. And then I had that too, actually. Yeah, it was such a like corporeal response. You know, I was like, oh my God, I recognize this person. And so after reading it, and, you know, all her interests were similar to mine, like she wanted to be a writer and magazine editor, and she's an artist and one dancer and this and that. And I was like, well, this is insane. This is all the things that I was interested in and doing. And then the second phase of it is, you know, I called the caseworker and they're obligated to do a 10 hour search for her by law. And then oh. they broker that search. If they find her, they broker the conversation. And then, so I decided after a long kind of thought process, you know, what do because you just don't know what you're getting into. You don't know if you're going to get rejected again. She had actually updated the information in my file like 10 years before I got it with uh, information about DES, which is a drug that they give to women. I think mm. it's for like, you know, to dry up their breast milk, but it has repercussions. You yes. know, they call DES daughters and DES granddaughters. Yeah. I just thought to myself, well, if she's updating this medical information, she must be interested in meeting. If she's worried about my health, you know, maybe she's thinking about me. Very responsible. I actually. I know. Yeah. So I called Catholic Charities and uh, they told me what the process was. They said they usually call the last place of listed employment for her. So they called. She was working in Toronto at an arts council. They called there and the guy who answered the phone was like, oh, yeah, we know her. She always talked about having a daughter out there oh somewhere. Oh, wow. Here's, here's her number in Scotland. Wow. <laughs> and so the caseworker called me back. She's like, it took me two calls. She's like, this is probably the easiest reunion I've ever done. She's like, it took me two calls. And she is in Scotland. She wants to meet you, but she just needs to get her head together. She wants to send a letter. If I remember, she wants to send a letter first. And that was when it was still like airmail, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, wait uh, for the letter. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I got the letter and I was pregnant at the time. And then we talked on the phone and then she suggested she come over. Her mother had just died and left her a little bit of money. And she's like, my mom would love for me to spend this to see you, you know, which I thought was after knowing all this, like her mom was the same one who sent her away. So like, yeah. <laughs> flying back here it's just too much you know so that's how it worked and I was very like I feel like one of the lucky ones because it was that easy and that she wanted to find me and you know I feel sad that we're not talking anymore because of oh you're not I didn't No, you know part of this book because I have images in it there's a process by which you have to get permission from people to use, you know, an image they sent you or that they own or that is of them. And I had three in there that were of her, one of which was our reunion and all of which she'd given me, but you know, you have to ask permission for these. And she got really like, she's like, I'm not going to give you permission unless you let me read the whole manuscript and change what I want to change and, you know, edit what I need to edit. And I was like, that doesn't work this way. <laughs> like you've always known I was writing a book and it doesn't work that way. And then she asked for her privacy to be protected. And so I gave her a pseudonym and changed. There were not a lot of identifying details, you know, but that's the hardest part is that for me, at least to think that her shame is still there in that way that she can't. That- it's internal. Yeah, it's so internalized. And like, does she see that this is so hurtful? Like, how do you not just say to your daughter, of course, you can use anything, you know? I mean, she's 70, 78, 70. Yeah, I always think like if my son wanted to write some 
thing. And it was like, I, there was parts of me that looked scathing and I'd let him, I'd be like, if it bettered him that, cause you always kind of want your kids to have that. Yeah. She's got a lot of deep shame in there and just, yeah. Yeah. And so a lot. that certainly didn't feel good on my end and it doesn't feel good with my sisters and my dad, but I also have come to a place where I'm like, this is, it's not about me. This isn't about me. This is about them. And they have to, you know, I've been in therapy all my life. I don't know about you guys, but like, I've been in therapy all my life. I'm going to (laughs) stay in therapy. Right. Cause it's like, how do I survive without this? You know, like in the lead up to the book, I had to kind of, you know, I've got kind of crappy health insurance, but I'm like, I booked with my therapist who's an adoption counselor. I booked time with her in like the months leading up to this book. Cause I knew I was going to have a lot of issues coming up and I booked uh, like private coaching with my friend, Jen Pasteloff, who is, yeah, she's amazing. And I used to take her yoga classes. (laughs) Yeah. She's so amazing. And it was like, I said, Jen, I need time with you because I want to, I want to not be beating myself up. I want to like own my voice. I want to be here for myself and I want to be in a really good place when all of this this happens. And so like, you know, like I've invested a lot of myself, you know, in myself and in my own like mental health. And I'm like, you fuckers can't even get to like a therapy (laughs) session, (laughs) like get some therapy. Yeah. And you don't keep up with your family really at all? Your two sisters and your dad are just minor things? As far as my sisters are concerned, I mean, my one sister, no, they're just, after this text, my youngest sister sent me, I'm like, I don't know how to respond to that. It was so cruel. I'm like, I guess we're not talking. And I also am a big believer, like the phone works both ways. Yes. You know, like I've, I don't know about you, but I was always the one in the family, maybe because I'm the oldest or whatever, but I was always the one encouraged to always be the reach out, you know, heal the things like talk to your sisters. They miss you. Do this, do that. And I'm like, you know what? No, I'm not doing it anymore. They can call me. They, yeah, they don't the fixer, call yeah. me, mm-hmm. you know, they don't support me. They don't, my dad doesn't call me. So speaking of dads, did you find anything out about your birth father? Mm. I did it. I mean, all I know is what my birth mother told me, which was, you know, it was Dick Sanford or it could have, it was the sixties. It could have been anybody. <laughs> so <laughs> right. I, ironically, right before I, um, came on with you guys. I just got my ancestry DNA kit. I was just going to ask. We were going to say. (laughs) So I have been hesitant and I don't know why to do it because I just feel like there are going to be more surprises. It's scary. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah. What am I going to find out now? You know, so I just spit in the cup. I did it. I put it in the mailbox and then I was like, okay, I'm going to do this podcast. Okay, we are going to have to have a have a, have a follow up to see what happens with that. I mean, yeah, I mean, I had you know as a writer, I don't know, and I don't think this is completely like out of the realm of possibility. But the other night, I had a dream that like, what if this comes back and my dad somehow had an affair with my birth mother, and I'm actually his kid? They created this subterfuge to like, so he. <laughs> You know, it's like, this is <laughs> your mind is in a, <laughs> yeah, but this is what you do in the absence of like of information. information. Yeah. Yeah. All the stories you tell yourself about who you, who you could are. be, who you I th- are. I thought I was an aster when I- <laughs> Sarah was royalty. I know. I, know. I, I was hoping I was, I was like Joni Mitchell's daughter, you know, yeah, I was never an aster. <laughs> That's a I actually one. went to Joni Mitchell's 50th birthday party and her birth daughter had just found her within Whoa. a couple of years prior to okay, that. That's oh my God. Cool. Joni gave up a child for adoption yeah. and yeah. And so they found each other. It was her fi- right around her 50th birthday. So. Wow. So how did you, Mate, how'd you go to Johnny Mitchell's <laughs> Wait, you buried the lead here. <laughs> My son's father, my ex is a musician and he worked, he wrote a song with Joni or sang on one of her records. And so oh we went to, God. went to her party. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So Whoa, yeah. you have to do a whole episode on that because that adoption connection, I think everyone who was adopted at the time when that news came out was like, 
I'm Joni Mitchell's daughter. I had them. Yeah, I know. Any musical ability in your life. I'm Joni Mitchell's daughter. (laughs) Because I think it was, I think she's about our age. She is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's funny. Yeah. yeah, The daughter. She's, I think. The daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, wouldn't that be just. (laughs) Joni Mitchell, birth mother. Yeah. (laughs) No problem. I know. Um, I was going to say, like, I had written long ago. It's one of the essays in my book. It's about like Googling the only specifics I knew about my birth father based on what my birth mother told me. And it's, you know, it's just like trying to Google to find somebody now that you can. And the essay ends with an obituary I found from Connecticut that seemed to have lined up. And somehow this, anyway, this woman contacts me and she's like, Hey, I read your essay in like obscure literary journal. And I was like, <laughs> first of all, where, how are you reading this obscure literary journal? She's like, I think you're talking about my uncle. Wow. And, and so here is this woman who is like claiming to be my cousin. And I really think she is. And we've traded pictures, you know, when her dad was still alive, he's like, yup, she's a Sanford. Like we traded pictures ourselves and I'm like, oh my God we look like we're related. And she sent me pictures of who might be my father when he was young. And I was like, he looks like my son, Sam looks just like my son, Sam. Are any of them on ancestry? Well, that's what I'm hoping. Cause then you'll know doing these DNA tests. And I think that's where she was finding it. She was doing these genealogical research. Mm -hmm. And so I think she found this, she found my, you know, because I mentioned his name, of course. And so that must have been flagged in Ancestry. So maybe when my stuff comes back, I'm like, maybe we'll really be cousins. <laughs> That's so interesting. Yeah, it yeah. takes, you're going to be waiting for about five, six weeks, I think. Yeah, it takes all of it before it comes. My son looks exactly like my birth father. Oh. My birth father died in 1986. So you have a I mean, I, I, I have a picture. picture. Yeah, mm-hmm. they look wow. they look so much alike. And what does it mean for this is what I'm thinking like my son Sam for example, like he has wanted to go into the military multiple times and I'm like where is this coming from? If this is my birth father, I mean he was in the navy, you know, like so what did your son think when he saw like grandfather's face? <laughs> he was blown away by it. Like how much yeah. and I look just like my birth mother. That was, you know, yeah, when when I met her and yeah. she and two of my sisters showed up in LA to meet us and I was with my ex and he was just, you know, Daring. looking back and forth. We weren't mm-hmm. having the best time with each other either. So he's like, there's two, four of them now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Watch out. <laughs> I know. I think for me, it's like more our mannerisms. Our That's, mannerisms. I was just yeah. going to say that oh. too, because. I do this nodding and then my two sisters and my birth mother. And, you know, we all sit there like nodding our heads. And (laughs) I had that experience. My biological mom, I've never met her. She passed away, but I mean, it's, I'm like her twin. uh, I think according to everybody, because they all stare at me like, (gasps) you know, she had dark hair, but the same, but the mannerisms of my cousins when we all first met was weird. Like that I've met my cousin Brad first and he was a young guy and he was in um, Los Angeles. Poor guy. He was like the guinea pig. The first person you meet in the family is like a 26 year old young man. (laughs) But we were both like, we kept doing the same things while we talk. This is crazy. I'm having this out of body experience with this young man who worked five minutes from my work at the time, which Wow. So weird. Five is, minutes. Isn't that? Oh, oh so we, my birth mother yes. lived across the street from me in New York on Sixth Street between <laughs> A and B. We were across the street from each other for like Crazy. six months or something. This is like without I mean, knowing mine, it. Yeah, yeah, mine too. I mean, in Norwalk, like I was two miles from her, her home. And I don't know if she lived there at the time. She must have. When they brought me back, she was back in Norwalk for a while. And then so. That's it's just insane. And like Damon too, like his oh, yeah, I know. Was, it's insane. I it's know. A, that's a crazy yeah. story with the trains and the buildings and what same yep. college. And it is, well, it's that nature versus nurture. How much are you influenced? And then how much are you just who you are from your biology? Right. So it's absolutely and the things that I'm you curious like. well, what's going to happen to you. On the, you know, me too. Will you, will you keep <laughs> us? Will you Stay yeah. in touch and then let us know. And yeah, absolutely. I know it's, I can't. Uh, it's a hard yeah. six weeks to wait too. It's like, 
Yeah, I'm trying to put it out of my mind. It's like, yeah, stuff, it's like a story you send out on submission or something. It's like, oh, <laughs> I, I sent that. Wait, I get a year later and your rejection. You're like, what? I forgot yeah. I even sent that to you. <laughs> but yeah, it's going to be, it's really in telling to me that it took me this long to do it. And then I literally got the kit and you'd think like I'd be all excited and I'd spit in the cup and send it away immediately. I don't but think I, it's, I don't think it's weird. I have, I went on Ancestry two years ago now and I have a whole thing there I could dig into and I just look at it. <laughs> so I don't think it's yes. weird at all. Yeah. You know? It sat on my counter for it will two get there. Weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, well, I guess I got to get some better pieces. <laughs> I don't know. Everything in its stage, right? When you're emotionally ready or yeah well they're constantly updating their uh oh my god dna results like like a month ago i was you know yes x percentage this and now i'm i'm like emails like every day yeah they're constantly (laughs) their technology is constantly improving or well as more people put into the pool put their right and you find out but they're i think it's more about like genetic testing has gotten so good. Yeah. Did you genetically, did you find out anything like from, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I know. Yeah. You find out where you're more from. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm basically Irish, Scottish, English, 67% Irish, Scottish, English. Yeah. Then I'm like 20% French and then Norwegian and Swiss. I see I the Irish. Yeah. I'm a lot more German than my brother. Where my adopted family, my mom's side is very German. Okay, mm-hmm. and so they kind of pride themselves on the German. My brother and I both did it. My adopted brother, and I'm I'm more German than he is. He's like, what? Wait a second. How you're not the German? I'm like, I'm taking over. I'm I have a German guy. last name, and I'm not German. Yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. No wonder yeah. I'm not. I don't care about those bratwurst when they're served at our family dinners. <laughs> Yeah, I'm excited to learn. I mean, I think, you know, according to my birth mother, you know, she's Hungarian and I'm Hungarian and very Hungarian. Yeah. Yeah. That came true. That part came true. We could be Hungarians together. I know. Well, (laughs) I've been wanting to go over there and I want to go like see where, you know, I don't know exactly where they're from. All I know is the cool story of when they came to Norwalk, my ancestors. So the I guess they were from the Tokaj wine region. Mm. So they sowed the seeds of the grapevines into the hems of their skirts. And yeah, when they came over and when they immigrated and uh, then planted them in, in Norwalk where they settled. So I have some pictures of like them when, you know, my grandmother with all like the wine grapes that's had, so great arbors and stuff isn't that cool yeah, yeah i'm excited really for cool. you you'll have to update us on and that. ancestry also tells you you know when your family immigrated over yes. and what they were doing what they were likely doing mine immigrated over and you know pre-revolutionary war like yeah. in the 1700s and you get a lot yeah. of facts it's, i'm um, interested to know like if they fled or if they came voluntarily like i mean it's okay. really great I'm, it's interesting yeah it is right. interesting yeah <laughs> Keep us posted and so we can have part two. Been, yeah. <laughs> do a part Absolutely. two. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for being a voice. Like we're excited to, re- we're just starting your book because we found you and we haven't read the whole thing yet, but we, you know, being a voice for adoptees and telling your story and being honest, cause it is, it mm. is scary. And you do go through loss. We're having our own worry of what you put out there, what happens and with that. And yeah. it's important that you are authentic to you and tell your story. Every, yeah. Everybody. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I feel like the gift and the tragedy of this book has been that the book is my voice and like speaking about the book is me using my voice. And, you know, the tragedy is that you, of course, you're, I'm, I've lost wow. by their choice, like the people closest to me it's in painful. adoption. Like, so there's like, this book's about abandonment, attachment issues, all this stuff. Like, every adoptee fears being abandoned again. And here I am writing a book about all these (laughs) subjects and it's just in my voice and like my feelings and my family abandons me because of it. And I don't say that to be all maudlin about it or anything, but it's just like, you know, damn you guys, that stuff's real. And I think that's a reality for adoptees that people may or may not understand. And 
I think for me, especially like to be able to have a community like this where I can like speak into the pain because that's the only way I know how to do it is like to speak directly into something that hurts is the only way for me to get over it. And it's like almost a sharing of it, but in that sharing takes the burden off. It dissipates the grief. It's really brave. It is. I mean, it's brave, risky and brave. And it, it's really hats off thank for doing you. it. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you for being here and joining us. Thank and- you so much. Thanks for giving this. We're happy to be part of the community with you. Yeah. New members of the community. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that there is one. So me too. (laughs) And that we all can understand each other. And I'm still shocked that we didn't know there was this community, which I know, (laughs) like you said, we knew there was a beanie baby one, but I know, I know. (laughs) Yeah. I think if I'd know, I'm kind of glad I didn't know. Me too. Yeah. Because writing this book would have been, you know, I just thought I was the only one going through it. And there's a responsibility in that when you're writing, I think that is like, it's terrifying. It's like, oh, I'm putting this out there. I'm not sure if I'm the only one going through this, maybe I am totally crazy or whatnot. And then I remember right before my book came out, Gabrielle Glazer's book came out and I read hers and I was just like, I am not the only one. And she and I were doing research in parallel and like, this is so validating. I feel so validated by like her voice by, and then that led me to like this other, all these adoptee communities. And I was like, Oh my gosh. (laughs) friends. Yeah. (laughs) Lifelong friends. And you're ready for it when you find it. So it's like, yeah, I don't know that I would have appreciated it before this. Yeah. 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 It's also funny how so many of us, it's our having our kids that precipitates the like, Oh, related. (laughs) Yeah. It's the first person, at least for me, this is, you know, my biological. They're the first ones that I was like, I look like someone now. You just yeah. stare at them. Like <laughs> and I remember, you know, n- now that I'm in these adoptee communities, we talk about things like I remember giving birth to my sons and being like, do not take my baby out of this room. Do oh, not. I, I was the same baby. way. Ew. Yeah. I, this baby will stay in my room. Unnatural fear. Like, yes. And I me had no too. idea where that was coming from, but I was like, even when they went to get circumcised, I was like, you bring mm. them right back. You don't yes. talk. You know, you got my it. ex-husband, I was like, you go there. Like he's yep. talking to my mom. Like, <laughs> and I, yeah. I, I put my son, you know, he was in his little bassinet. I picked him up and slept with yes. him yeah, that first night in the hospital. Like, yep. no, but, you no know, holding taken, on to him. Taken. Yeah, and that's then, crazy. You know, I hadn't yeah, really talked about that. Such a <laughs> reaction. And then hearing other adoptees who've had that same reaction, I was like, Oh my God. Like I literally tracked my sons across the room. I was like to get weighed because I had cesareans for both of them. I was like, Mm -hmm, do not let that boy, (laughs) do not let them out of my eyesight. You're not switching my baby at birth. You're not taking my baby. You're not. I was terrified of it. I was terrified Mm -hmm. of it. And Mm -hmm. I used the word, my ex-husband reminded me because he's listened to our podcast. He said that I used the word that I knew him. He came out and I kept saying, I know him. Like oh, I had this weird, you know, I had a so C-section weird. too. It was, it was an emergency C-section and it was, you know, you're yeah, a little out too. from that. It's a big surgery, right? And you're right. So I just kept saying that to him and he was like, you do what, what do you say? <laughs> but now he's yeah. like, Hey, it kind of makes sense. You know? Yeah. So that's weird. so amazing. Right. Huh. That's interesting. I haven't even talked about that. No, I haven't, e- I haven't either. I like, forgot all about the birth and doing that, but, and that, you know, Picking him up and putting, you know, holding him all night and not yep. sleeping pretty much. Yep. Anytime the door would open. Oh, it, yeah. It's going on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. That's all that primal, tra- prim- yes. primal trauma that we have. Yeah. Wonder how all these boys will turn out. <laughs> They're over loving mothers. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Already mine are like, mom- they used to call me mama bear. And now they're like, you know, they're Back. in their 20s, mid 20s. Yeah. Mid-20s, Stop it. Stop it. I get a lot of stop it too. Right. You don't have to do this anymore. I was like, "Uh, I will fight for you. (laughs) Well, thanks so much, Megan. And we'll hear from you. We're going to be following up about the ancestry stuff. Yeah. Don't worry. I'll 
I'll tell you guys. Yeah, <laughs> so let, let us, we'll have to have you, yeah, come on, or our fa- we have Facebook Live or something, you have to join and tell us somehow. Okay, all right. Yeah, I'll make it so you can't. <laughs> okay. Good. Right. Thanks so, so much. much. Thank Talk you. to you soon. All right. You guys okay, bye. Bye. That was great. I mean, the birth stuff coming up that I had forgotten about was not that I forgot about it. I just didn't connect. You and I have never talked about that. I know. And we've talked about a lot of things and, and she brought it up and I'm like, it's funny when each person you talk to comes more memories and, and just, yeah. you know, Megan's story is so open and raw and it's painful what she's been through and lost. Very brave. It really is. And, you know, I think it's powerful of her to, because you, you could fall back into a pleaser yes. role and just be like, okay, well, I, I want to say my truth if it's going to hurt people, you know, and it's brave of her and it's important to have your voice. We always say that, you know, keep- it's brave of her and it gives so many other people that want to find their voice. And, you know, not everybody's going to go write a book or have a podcast or just any of this. So it's, it gives them like, they can read it at night and go, wow. You know, it's yeah. helping people. Yeah, she is. Just a neat woman. I really like her. Yeah. I, I can't <laughs> wait to hear her her Me ancestry too. results. <laughs> well, another great episode. So. No, always a great episode. <laughs> Love See you, you Louise. Next. Love you too. <laughs> okay. See you next time. See you next time. Bye. Thanks so much for listening today. And remember, if you'd like to share your stories or suggest any guests for our show, you can find us on all the socials at the Making of Me podcast. And again, we have a Patreon page so that we can continue to bring these great adoption stories to you. So if you want to find that and donate or contribute in any way, find us at patreon.com searching adoption colon the making of me. Bye. See you next time.